Hello, everybody. Welcome back to NeuroQual podcast. Um, here today, I'm uh, Dr. Charlie Whiffin, and with me is I'm Dr. Sadhani Sovendran. Um, and today, we're going to introduce you to Unit Three in the um, NeuroQual resources, and talk a little bit about our experiences of conducting semi-structured interviews, um, and talk a bit about the content. So. Um, We've both done semi-structured interviews and I think it's fair to say that um, qualitative in semi-structured interviews are like the bedrock of qualitative inquiry, aren't they? So it's what I would say most qualitative researchers who want to look at something in depth and in detail generally tend to do semi-structured interviews. Why do you think that is, Sam? Um, well, I think I think it's because um, with semi-structured interviews, because of the, the nature of the fact that they are semi-structured, you do get some degree of um, I don't I don't want to use the word control, but you, you know, like you have some degree of yes, control in inverted commas over what you're asking. But at the same time, you're also open to the fact that the participant actually tell you something that might lead you to ask questions which are not in that. Yeah, so-called yeah. topic guide and or to discuss topics that might be related to your topic but you never thought about which is very interesting mm -hmm. and the fact that it's not just giving you one word answers or one sentences it's like actually giving you it sort of sits between you know what we talked about the narrative and or the unstructured and the uh, structured interview so you've got actually got the best of both worlds if you if you ask me and and I, I actually see it that way yeah same so you have like um the flexibility but with standardization so I think you can have some you know that you know you've you've read your literature you know generally what it is you want to look at so you have specific broad questions you want to ask your participants about but actually you're allowed to ask some follow-up questions and you're allowed to explore things that your participants tell you that you didn't know were going to be important to your inquiry before you go off and do it. And that's what's really nice about semi-structured approaches is that, like I say, that standardisation. So, you know, you'll, all, you'll ask everybody these six main questions or these 10 main questions. But in addition to that, you can ask all of these follow up questions that you didn't know before we're going to come up in in your data and so you can follow you know the, that trail of in, inquiry which I guess as some some researchers used to more quantitative approaches like a structured interview like um you know where you administer a question then I might find find that quite uncomfortable mightn't they that you didn't ask all of the same follow-up questions to everybody but that's you know that's the evolving flexible nature of qualitative inquiry isn't it yeah yeah and and I like the fact that um and I know this is going to sound a bit odd but from my personal experience I like the fact that um in a semi-structured interview or a qualitative interview you actually literally have to pay attention to what the person is saying so if you're going for a structured interview you know what the questions are, the question one followed by question two and so on. And so even if you're not paying attention because you're recording it, it doesn't really matter because you know that you're just going to 
go on to the next question when the person stops talking. But with a qualitative or semi-structured interview, especially semi-structured, you really have to listen and engage with the person. You almost have to be in their world to really get what they're saying and ask the right questions, follow-up questions to whatever they've said before. And I think that that's, I feel, the whole beauty. I mean, I, I consider that being immersed in that research because you're actually listening paying attention engaging imagining when they said this happened and that happened and then in your mind you have that picture and you go right so what happened after that you know and i i find that so different from like quantitative research when you just go okay what blah blah number one what does this what is that you know when is this when is that and and, that, and that's all. And, and I'm not downplaying that. I mean, there's utility for those kind of research, I'm sure. But I think in, if, if we're talking about qualitative, I that's what I love about it. It's you really neat to actually be with the person, uh, engage with the person and, and, and enter their world almost through whatever they're saying. That's so true. And I think when you think about, you, you mentioned that word immersion. So qualitative researchers will talk about immersing themselves in data. And then I always think about somebody like jumping in a swimming pool, that full, like, yeah. that full immersion. And it's your right. well, the reason why you're, you're doing this inquiry is to understand their world and their perspective on, on certain things. And why do they feel the way that they do? You know, and and that commitment to their story and their experience, you have to try and see it from their perspective, because if we only ever saw a problem from our perspective, we'll never really be able to understand it properly. So you're spending time with that person, what could be an hour, an hour, two hours with somebody to to. And then I always think it's like a gift. They are gifting to you their story. And you have to pay attention. And it's that idea of that, you know, that active listening to the things that they tell you and the, you know, the nuances of what they tell you and also what they don't tell you uh, and things that you expect to come up that don't. Um, And and I think one of the um, one of the, the one of the things that I always like to do is to use the language that people have conveyed certain messages about or to ask people about like metaphors or descriptions that they have particularly used. And I think sometimes when you kind of so we, you know, in our in our everyday language, we use metaphors, don't we? And we use colloquialisms or, you know, I'll assume, you know, something even without me telling you about it. And sometimes you have to dig at those things about why did you you know, why did you why did you call it a war? You know, clearly what it yeah. was a war, but why did you use that particular term? And I think oh, yeah. it's that ability to just go that go that extra get that extra depth from a participant and that richer kind of contextual understanding from somebody. Um and that's you know, like I say, it, it's a real honour spending that amount of, of time with somebody. Um, and we do in the in the unit, there's a there's also a podcast from uh, Tom Bashford in this unit talking about unstructured interviews. Um, now, they're really I don't know if you've ever done an unstructured interview, Stan, but they are um, they can be quite unwieldy um, and you can feel quite out of control. Um, but they are quite exciting because they 
you know the participant takes you where they want you to go um but i you know i spent somebody i i so the I spent some time with with a with a participant and I asked them one question at the beginning of the interview, which was tell me about your experience, essentially. And they talked for two hours without any without any follow up question, (laughs) you know, without any anything from me. Yeah, because I think it was the first time anyone had actually asked them that question. Right. So they had such a like there were this huge compulsion to tell their story and nobody had ever asked them for their story that you know it was a a beautiful way of kind of crafting that that data and I also had somebody who within five minutes was like you're gonna have to ask me a follow-up question what do you (laughs) want (laughs) I don't know what you want Charlie you need you need to ask me something else and I wasn't prepared for that because you know I I didn't have this So yeah, I, th- I think that you know piloting is always <laughs> always helpful, um, and having some you know testing out some approaches with friends and things, because uh, it's actually really difficult to develop your interview technique. How did you inter- How did you develop your interview technique? Um, so I think I did some yeah had some practice. So when I first started doing it, um, it was basically with friends. Mm-hmm. And like ask questions to friends and, and just let them talk about like like a particular topic and then ask them follow up questions based on what they said. So that's how I started. And when I actually had to do it in the real world, I did pilot um, my interview guide. Mm-hmm. And I found that was really helpful because uh, some of the the I don't want to call them fake participants, but the mock participants actually gave like feedback on on how the question sounded to them like they yeah. didn't understand that term or, or what I wanted or you know that's that sort of thing which I think is really important yeah mm. they were from a similar background or demographic as the the uh, actual participants so that was extremely helpful because mm. you do you quite often get that in um you know so somebody would say I don't understand your question Charlie what, you know what do you mean so you've developed this interview schedule that you you know is you know, you understand all of your questions and then you take it to someone and they're like what do you mean what what what, what do you mean by that yeah. so yeah <laughs> tell, what do you want me to say yeah yeah what do you want what do you want me to say um, <laughs> and um I guess the other thing with that is you have to be really careful in in leading participants yes because you have that sometimes you have that where you know you want to show that you're actively listening to them um, and feel like you're you're interested in what they're saying. But sometimes if you if you if you over show how your interest in a particular thing, then oh, you're interested in that. Let me tell you a bit more about that. So, you know, you have to be kind of careful in in you know presenting your engagement and interest in all of their story, not just in a tiny bit that they then prioritise telling you about. Um, And then the other thing to say probably, because a lot of our listeners will be um, either medical students or or medics or surgeons, um, semi-structured interviews are not clinical exams, are they? Oh, no. no. (laughs) And it's worth saying that, isn't it? Because actually, you know, in practice, we're used to being with patients, families, 
you know, we talk to them all the time, hopefully talk to them all the time. Um, but actually in this, in a research setting context, all your, although the, their skills of talking to people will be transferable, it's a whole other set of skills, isn't it? To actually sit with somebody and give them space and voice and presence um, and that's very, very different to to what people might be more comfortable with in a, in a clinical situation. That's right, because in the clinical situation, it's although it's it's I, I know it's, sometimes it's a grey area because you say it's information gathering, mm. but I think in qualitative, I don't really like to use that term. I'm gathering data. I'm gathering information because like harvesting. Sometimes. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. Whereas in, if you're doing it in a clinical setting. Yeah, and, and I, I struggled with this as well because I come from a clinical background and when I used to talk to patients or their relatives about things and I had to go into qualitative research, I also felt that what's the difference? It's the same. I'm asking questions. But then when you actually do it in real life, you realise it's completely and utterly different. That's, it's like night and day, you know. Yeah. And your your whole stance and mindset about it is also different and it should be you can't mm. be having that same clinical I need to get information from this person because then then it just becomes mechanical and robotic and there's no iterative flexible nothing that it's, it's lost mm. and I think the, the additional problem that clinicians have when doing qualitative research is the power differential between the participant and the researcher and there's a lot written about trying to increase the control of the participant and decrease the power differential so they know that you know whatever they say is important and and I think quite often in in clinical practice those hierarchical models are more present Mm. and, and you know patients sit in the shadows of, of clinicians yeah. and actually if you enter a research interview like that then your participants are more likely to give you sound bites of kind of medically orientated stories you know rather than the contextual depth that you're usually looking for in, in qualitative research and I really liked your idea of you know when you talked about you can either see it as a in, you know harvesting data you know extracting data so you can either see this exchange as there's the, there's a person who you harvest the data is already in them and your job is to harvest it so yeah. that data is is like it's predetermined and you're trying to get at it yes or which is what I see the, the interview as is as a co-creation of data yes so and when you all of a sudden, if you put yourself in that mindset that you are creating data together, so that is influenced by how they see you, how you see them, yeah. the language that you use and the language that they return to you. It's influenced by your environment, the sight, the smells, the sounds, you know, the you know where you conduct the interview. Um, it's influenced by the journey that they had to reach you you know and um or the other contextual stuff that's going on in their lives at the time so I kind of believe um much more in 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 that kind of qualitative position that there isn't a finite truth that you're trying to get at you are getting a truth 
yes you know in, in this in this data and you have to understand how that truth that you are you know getting it which is your data how that has been influenced and shaped by things outside and beyond that 60 minute yeah. period in which t- you turn the recording on yeah um and it's really interesting i think when there's some advice in the in the unit about schedule semi structured schedules and i sit on on several ethics committees and the amount of times i see people literally just submit their 10 questions and i think actually that's not the semi structured interview that's you need to be prepared for the welcome the you know the pre-interview ramble if you like the introductions the you know the shape the 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 forming of that relationship before you turn the recorder on you know and even before you do the record the the interview recording there's often a pre-consent meeting isn't there so there'll be time before where you talk about the interview and it there that participant is making their mind up then about the story that they're going to tell you you know it's all shaping and informing what's going to happen in that 60 minute recording and then once you turn the recording on you can ask your questions but then also when you turn it off there's a debrief there's a an exhale of so how for you how you know do you have any you know final kind of um and that that kind of off you know off interview discussion um so there's a you know it's more than just the yeah 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 yeah. and not all researchers prepare for that I don't think and it's really important and I'm glad you brought it up because um that was my experience in in um in my previous um post that before I actually interviewed the participants I actually because they were they were in um, they were care home um, workers and managers so I actually went into the care home before that had had like tea and coffee with them talked about the research explained to them what I was doing went another times just just for a like a social event that they had so to get to know me as a person and not feel that because and, and this is the truth so the first time I went there I was wearing my University um, of Glasgow badge and they, they didn't see that. They just saw me in like a, a nice dress and jacket and everything. And they were like, is she from the care commission? Oh, no. Oh, no. And they <laughs> panic. Really? So, you know, what you said is so important. If if people have that idea or oh, she's here to like inspect us, find out what we're doing, then they're, they're just going to tell you, you know, very brief and possibly dull uninteresting things that you want to hear oh yes everything's perfect in this place oh everybody's in the the pink of health you know I'm doing my job from seven to seven whatever but they're not going to tell you the reality and that's what you want to know mm. you want to what contextual information you're not going to get that you're just going to get like what you said sound bites of this that 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 okay thank you very much goodbye mm. uh, so that's why I think this um the the pre-interview meetings and briefings are so important especially when you're you like you talked about the power thing you know when especially when you're as a clinician or a neurosurgeon you want to carry out research with the patients or with their families you mm. need to have that I think you talk about as well in the in the, in, in the um, unit rapport needs to be there and you mm. can't you can't build it just at that point of the no. interview it's got to be built before if you want to do this research 
you need to really talk to the people before. Let make them understand what you're doing. Let them know you not as oh doctor so and so or professor so and so, but as the person, as a person, as an individual who's also a human being who wants to learn from them. Yeah. From experiences and that you really that, that that you value their their perspective you know and that if it comes back to the principle of why we where we start from in qualitative research you start from that position of not knowing mm. so you know we have to have small sample sizes because we want to go deep because we don't know they might show us something that we've never heard of before so you you need to be looking out for that and you're spending time with people and you're right if they if they are intimidated by you or worried about what you're going to report then they're not going to show you their world as they see it and it's a bit and it's also like you know the things that you do in the interview so you know writing things down and think you know I I remember in um and I do it even, you know, even myself. So, you know, in an interview I had recently, not a research interview, but some things to do with work. The person on the other end was writing stuff down. I was like, what are you writing? <laughs> what What are you writing? Why is that important? <laughs> I got really quiet. And I think it was worse because it was on Teams. So, oh, I could okay. see, but I could see that they were looking down and writing something. And I was, I was actually really quite, um, I wouldn't even say distressed, but it was, you know, I, I was really curious about what they were writing down. And, and I think when you're when you're face to face with somebody, you know, sometimes it might feel like there's this real need to write everything down. But your recorders for that, that's what your recorder is to do, is to capture everything. You can make a couple of notes for like follow up questions. But yes. I, always think, I always think it's it's nice if your participants can see what you're writing down. So they might, you know, and I've had that before where they've kind of been looking. Yeah, yeah. Down. yeah. As soon as they see that I'm not writing anything, you know, you know, of judge, judgmental down, if you like, um, then they relax. You know, they they relax into it. And I think that's, you know, that's the other thing about having longer interview times. I'm always really worried when you see studies where there's you know an interview is like 20 minutes and there's like 15 questions you know all <laughs> there's not a lot of depth there um but if you're generally speaking people might start off quite clipped you know and and they're worried about the recording they're worried about what you're writing down they're worried about you know what you if they're giving the right answers yeah um but then as soon as you know they start to especially after that first like grand tour question, you know, they start to relax in it. You can see the shoulders kind of drop down, becomes much more of a conversation and a, you know, a a dialogue and they, you know, they've, so yeah. And I think that's also what's nice about longitudinal approaches where you can meet with people, you know, on a a second time for data collection or or a third time as well, because again, that rapport has been established, go much deeper. Um, so it's you know the whole kind of raft of things to to consider um yeah any any anything else you wanted to pick up on sam no i mean you, you sort of covered it in what and i think we we also talked quite extensively about the the um semi structure interviews what what it is and you know, the practicalities of it which is i think very important you know and i i suppose it, it's to understand that um, you don't really have to ask, and this is more of a practical aspect, you don't really have to ask 
all your questions in a sequence. And I think this is something that um, maybe novices might struggle with. They, they feel that they need to ask question one first and question two and three. No, that's why it's really important to listen to your participant. Pay attention to what they're saying. Don't worry so much about your interview guide. And I know this is hard when you're doing it for the first time because I struggled with it when I was doing it with my friends. I kept wanting to ask them all the questions. It's 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 difficult when especially when you come from a quantitative um setting when you need to tick all your boxes mm. whereas in this it, it's not so much about i i need to ask all my 15 questions no because you might find that they might answer your question in a different way and in question number five when you're asking question number one so you, you need to be flexible in that sense and not go right i need to ask this question number one then followed by number two because if you ask the same question again and the participants can pick up on it. I've, I've had cases where the participant actually said, you've asked me that already or I've said that already. Mm. That sort of makes the whole thing a bit uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that so-called rapport that you're supposed to have built in the beginning, that just goes out the window because to them, you have not paid attention to what <laughs> I'm saying. Why should I say anything more to you? really really important to listen uh, don't be so hung up on like I need to get these questions done you're not there to like tick boxes or, or you know un, you know pass a test of how many questions you've asked it's about listening mm. understanding and you know as you said getting yourself into their understanding of that issue that we're talking about or researching in, you know that's that's the important thing not about the interview guide interview is a guide it's just a guide it's yeah, not yeah. holy grail but if we if we try and give an example of that so if you wanted to look at um pre-operative experiences patient experiences in uh, pre-surgery and your quite first question is tell me a little bit about your, your about your operation and their first answer gives you a, a you know loads of detail about the pre-operative procedures that the you know that the nurses did or the, the medics did or the anaesthetists did loads of it. and your second question on your interview schedule is tell me specifically about your pre-operative checks if they've done all of that in their first answer yeah. you don't want them to go back to what they, so you know you could change that second question to you know you might and you can say actually my second question was all about those pre-operative checks and you've provided me with a really detailed account of what happened there however could you just tell me a little bit more about such and such so you kind of you can reflect back that you've listened you've heard what you've said but then you can go a little bit deeper and change your question it's all about and that's where the skill comes from in, in interviewing and, and practicing um so I think we'll 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 call it call it time there. I think we've um, hopefully uh, talked also given you lots of advice and um, thoughts about semi-structured interviews. Um, I hope you enjoy the the unit. Um, there is, like I say, there is a podcast from Tom talking about um, unstructured interviews, which is um, a um, you know very different a different way to to to, to manage qualitative approaches, but. Um, it's a, it, it is the bedrock of qualitative research, um, and um, yeah, I hope there's. I hope you you, you walk away with some really useful um, tips and and hints from from the unit itself. So, 
Sanya, is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, yes, so the last thing I'll say before I end is that um, this is very important. And as I said, as a former clinician, I would say you might be tempted to try and correct something that they're saying. Maybe you were talking about like preoperative and they've misunderstood something. Don't try and correct them and say, no, the anesthetist actually said this, 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 this. Yeah. Um, do not do that because you're not there to offer the medical advice, you're offered to listen. You're, you're there to, to actually listen to the experience and their perspectives, not to give them uh, you know, medical education or, <laughs> or correct any misunderstanding done by some other clinician. No, that's not why this is there for. Um, and I, yeah, sorry. No, well, I just think that's such a good point. And I've got, and I've got an example of that. Okay. In, this, in a study that I did, one of the family's experiences were all built around a diagnosis of persistent vegetative state and that's how their whole story is built around this absolutely devastating diagnosis of their of their daughter i was at a conference and i was talking about this situation and somebody came up to me at the end of it and said um really questioned whether I could say that because he said you know that's not the correct that's not the correct diagnosis and I remember feeling quite kind of oh oh, you know I've I've got this wrong but actually that was the that was the patient's well sorry the family's perspective and their whole story was built around this but whether regardless of whether the accuracy of that diagnosis it's not the accuracy in a factual way it is the meaning that is drawn from a set of circumstances through the lens of that participant. And that's what you're trying to get at in a qualitative interview, not the factual, truthful object, objectivity, ob- objective facts of a, of a situation. Um, and you can do a lot of damage, can't you, to either your relationship between you and the participant and the way that you analyse your data, because you come in from a position of, well, they're wrong. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I mean, like I just had one recently. I think the patient was referring to traumatic. So they didn't know what traumatic brain injury was, um, but they had a family member with it and said, said, oh, his brain swelled up, his brain swelled up. And in a way that is true, but that's the understanding of any traumatic brain injuries. Your your brain just, you know, swells up like that. One of those aliens. <laughs> yeah. But, but you're not there to say, no, there's there are many different kinds of traumatic brain injury. There's some neural You know, that's not what you're there for. Please do not do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they might ask you, mightn't they? You know, as a you know, because you're a clinician, yeah. they might come to you and ask, well, what what's your take on this? This is what happened. What do you think? And that again is not your role. You're oh. there as a researcher, yeah. not as a clinician. And if patient if if participants are looking for additional advice or support you would normally signpost that person Mm. to somebody else so you're you don't kind of blur the boundaries of of why you're there with that that participant at that time and that is again really hard in health research when clinicians move into the research space because we're so used to comforting supporting advising you know and actually that's not that can that can really um change the relationship with a, with a participant um who then comes to see you as as a against as a clinician and as as an as an advisor 
instead of you signposting to someone to someone else I think yeah I think you always have to be careful about those dual dual roles um yeah it can be tricky if you're the only other person who can help them in yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> not an, it's not always an easy um path to tread but I think it's just about being wary um and certainly not offering advice you know in a in a research interview you're there to listen aren't you um yeah right so i just wanted to say that this unit is um it's packed full of information and it gives a lot of practical tips which mm -hmm. i are extremely important uh for actually carrying out the interview but the most the most important thing is actually doing it i mean yeah. it's well and good to actually read about it but actually doing it will make a whole world of difference definitely right well good luck <laughs> good luck to your interviews um be reflexive be self-aware you know try and improve don't be too critical of your first attempts um but talk with others watch others you know and um just that that continual process of, of self-discovery and, and self-improvement so um so yeah so enjoy the unit and like i say good luck and that's all from us today uh, it's been really nice talking to to you san and um hope our listeners have walk away with, with lots of useful tips and and tricks of the trade thank you